Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Wow, what an incredible day. Good to see everybody today. Hope you're feeling blessed. Be in God's house to be worshiping together. And as uh, we come together, find the book of Ephesians and begin to open it up. Uh, let me uh, just ask you to do this. If you, uh, well, I don't know, I uh, missed the announcements. I was in the, in the back. But if you did not get the announcement about today is Operation Christmas Child. We're taking up a love offering to help send shoe boxes around the world. And uh, those are nine bucks to send one shoe box around the world. Uh, and so uh, if you'd like to give to that, we're going to give you an opportunity. I know the offering plate just went by. Uh, but hopefully uh, these guys who are ushers can hear me at the end of the service. If we can have some of you ushers standing at the doors with some offering plates. And anybody would like to give, maybe they forgot or didn't know, they have an opportunity to do that. So when you go out today, you have an opportunity to give to Operation Christmas Child. We're going to do 250 boxes. Is that right, Laura? 250 boxes. So we want to send them all around the world. And uh, literally they do. They go around the world. So praise God for what it does. It reaches a lot of people. And so we want to encourage you to give. Uh, even if you can only do one box, what, what an incredible opportunity to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ by sending a shoebox uh, around the world. Listen, immediately after service today, if you're a guest with us, welcome to First Baptist Level Plains. And we want to connect with you. And in the pew in front of you is a little blue card. And if you'd fill that out, and if you uh, give us permission to contact you, I'll just send you a text or whatever. We promise not to harass you at your house. Matter of fact, we don't even ask for your address. Uh, but we'd like to just connect with you. If you have any questions about our church, uh, you can certainly uh, contact us. But we'd like to just thank you for being here today. And we want to invite you. We're going to have lunch immediately following the service day. We're going to have barbecue uh, from Good to Go. And uh, it's good barbecue. I hope you'll stay and eat with us. As a matter of fact, if you're a guest with us today, whether you're first or second or third, and some of you I look around, it's about your fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth time, uh, we want you to go first, okay? So you can go and you can eat first. And here, here's how you do that. If you go out the front doors, make an immediate left, follow the sidewalk in between, not this building, not the sanctuary building and the nursery building, but in between the nursery and the office building, and just go down there and you'll go into, let's see, it's the one, the two, the three, the fourth door on the right. Uh, that's where the line begins, and you can go in there. And then behind them, listen, we want people with small children to go next. Behind that, senior adults is next. So those of us who are mid-range and younger, you out of luck. All right? So uh, we're going to let the senior adults go first, and you define what a senior adult is. I'm not doing that. All right? Because uh, I'm not putting any barriers out there this morning, okay? So... Our theme over this next few weeks, as we think about Back to Church Sunday, is the word together. You know, one of the things that's good about life is, is to be together. Amen? Does anybody like, just like being alone? Put your hand down, Marina. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That's my wife. Just kidding. You know, there's times, listen, the honest truth is there are times in our lives where there is a parent, especially your moms out there, there are times you just want alone time. We all understand. We get that, okay? But nobody in this room really wants to be alone. Because the reality is, God did not design us and create us to be alone. He designed and created us to be together. 
It's like those Legos. You're familiar with Legos? You know, Legos were invented in the 1930s. And Legos are those toys that, you know, little squares and they have little rise bumps. You, you, like, you got them? You got some, David? You got them on you by chance? You don't have any on you, do you? You have a million of them? Yeah, well, they're great toys if you have a million of them. If you have one, you might as well throw it in the trash. They're not worth anything, right? Because, I mean, it's designed to be pieced together, right? And uh, we, as God's people, as God's church, as believers in Jesus Christ, are designed like Legos to be pieced together to make the church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Think about that. God, listen, the church is not one single person. The church is not built on one single person, all right? God has designed us all to be pieced together. And here's the great news about that is, the foundation of that is none other than Jesus himself. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Think about that. We got a firm, solid foundation in Jesus. And so when we think about the next couple of weeks together, about being together, I hope that you'll be encouraged, not just to come today because it was back to church Sunday, but then maybe you'll come back in the next few weeks and begin to help understand the concept of togetherness and how it's so crucial for your life and for my life as a follower of Jesus. Because God didn't call me to live solo. He called me to live in relationship and in community with you. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That God would do that. And you know, for Marina and I over the years, you know, being in the Air Force and then being in the ministry and living in the South and our families being in New Jersey, you know, we have really relied upon the church so much to be our family. And so that's what we're here to do. Amen. We're here to learn about being family. And over the next four weeks, let me just tell you where we're going. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at a few chapters there. Not today. Don't worry. Okay. We're going to get you out in time to eat lunch right here on campus. But the next four weeks, here's where we're going to go. The first week we're going to look at today, we're going to look at together we find peace. I don't know about you, but the world is looking for peace. I have the answer for that today. Next week, we're going to look at how we experience love together. The next week after that, we're going to look at how we grow stronger together. You get the theme, right? And then the next week, we're going to talk about how we change the world together. That's pretty incredible, folks, because that's the way God has designed us. But, you know, being together doesn't mean we lose our identity. Aren't you thankful? Well, you may not be. But aren't you thankful that we get to keep our personalities that we get, you know, that, that what we bring to the table in our backgrounds and in our cultures, that God brings it into the church to make us one, that we don't lose our identity and all that, that we stay who we are. That's pretty incredible that God would do that because, you know, you all needed a preacher from New Jersey. Amen. <laughs> and I need some of y'all Southern folks. Amen. So, amen. <laughs> You're from Texas. That's not even the South. That's its own world. So here we are together. And as we study together, we begin to open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 11 this morning. Now let me just give you a little background on Ephesians. Ephesians, Paul spends the first couple of chapters helping us to understand how totally depraved we are, how we... We all in this room are born in sin, separated from God. He calls it in trespasses and sins. And then he talks about the wonderful good news of the gospel, how 
We are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I are not saved by anything that we do. And then in the middle of chapter 2, he begins to help us to understand how we can have peace in relationship with each other and with God. And I don't know about you, but as I said earlier, the, the world's looking for peace. You know, we need peace in our cities. We, we need peace in our schools. We need peace in our churches. People are looking for peace in their families. But you know, the bottom line is most people are looking for just peace in their own heart. Amen? And so as we think about peace this morning, I'm going to talk about our togetherness that we find this peace And we find it, let me just give you the answer. You find it in no other than Jesus Christ. And so I've I've broken these verses down. Verses 11 down to verse 12. I've just basically said, you know, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus. Right? If you do not have Jesus in your life, and oh, no Jesus, then you're not going to have peace. People are looking for peace everywhere. Now, you may have temporary times of peace when you put your earbuds in, when your kids are screaming and you have some music playing and you sort of tune the world out. Amen. Anybody do that besides me? Amen. That's what I do. I put my earbuds in, crank it up, let them cry it out. Amen. I don't have to hear it. You got the brand new baby here today. That's awesome. That's a miracle right there. Amen. Old Karis is in the hospital and God... Made her well. Amen. Praise God for that. So as we think about this peace, I divided it just to help us understand. No, no Jesus, no peace. And then the opposite of that, K-N-O-W, no Jesus is to no peace. And then we're going to sort of wrap it up together. What does that all mean? How does that play into our relationship as togetherness? So let's look at the text of Scripture. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, remember that you... now." He's going to talk about the Gentiles in the church. Now, I want you to understand something. You you can think about your own life here. He says, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that, verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ. There it is, no Jesus. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. Now, folks, let me just tell you, that's a relationship without Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen, it's not about being a Baptist, okay? Let's just be honest this morning. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about being a Methodist or an Assemblies of God. It's not about all those things. Listen, it's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you may say, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm this or I'm that. Listen, I'm not asking you that this morning. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ by which the Spirit of God convicted of your sin, you repented of that sin, and you placed your faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary in your place, dying for you on the cross, shedding his blood to wash your sin away? Being buried to bury that sin far away, raising on the third day in order to make you righteous with God, and you have surrendered to that truth this morning. That's how you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, then you do not have Jesus. Because he's not to be had as a religion. He is to be had in relationship. 
with you and with me. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, as you think about having no Jesus, no peace, I wanted to sort of just walk you through verses 11 and 12. And I want you to understand what we're talking about because Paul is writing to the Gentile believers in the church at Ephesus. And he's reminding them that before they had a relationship with the Lord, they were really outcasts. But they were, they were, listen, they were not only outcasts in society. That is, so that they had this social problem, the social stigma is that they were not Jewish people. And as a result of that, the Jews hated them. The Jews did not like them. But not only that, because they weren't Jews, they automatically were outside of relationship with God. Notice how he says it to us. He reminds us in the text, first of all, they were called, notice verse 11, they were called the uncircumcised by the people who were circumcised. Now that's the Jews. So Paul is reminding them that in this relationship in society, they had not one ounce of peace because they were in conflict socially with the Jewish people. By the way, the word to be called the uncircumcised, that was not just an identification of what's happened to the skin surgically, but it was a classification that was derogatory. As a matter of fact, if you go in your Old Testament and you find that King David, when he is facing Goliath, he says, who is this? uncircumcised Philistine. That was a derogatory statement. He's saying, you know, who does this guy who's not even right with God, who does he think he is? And that's what was happening to the Gentile in the Ephesian community is that they were outside of a relationship with the Jews, but that meant they were also outside of a relationship with God because they weren't part of it. Notice how he begins to describe. He says, because they were without Christ. Notice the text. Verse 11. He says, you were called by this, by the circumcision made by the flesh of hands. He said that at that time, verse 12, you were without Christ. Why was there conflict? Why was there no peace in the life of this person who was a Gentile? Because they didn't have Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's what he's saying. He said, you were uncircumcised. You were in conflict with the Jewish people. And the reason why you didn't have any peace between you and God is because you did not have Jesus Christ. Exactly what he says in the text. You were without him. That is, you didn't have a relationship with him. That is, you were in sin, separated from God, damned, no hope. And that's what he's going to go on and he's going to explain to us. That this is a, as he describes verses 11 and 12, this is not just to help us to understand the past that they were in, but it's also to help us here in the present to understand the peace that is lost when you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is lost between us as individuals, but it's lost between a man and God. And what Jesus has come to do is he has come to bring us peace between man and God, but listen, also between man and man. You know why that is the case? Because listen, all loss of peace comes as a result of sin. Amen? whether it's a sin in relationship with us or whether it's the sin that separates us from God, there is no peace. And so Paul goes on and he explains to us that not only 
were they at without Christ? But notice what he says. But they were also, he says, aliens, he says. He says, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. That is, again, in this relationship that they had in society, they were the outcasts. They, they did not have a relationship with the Jews by virtue of all the covenants that they had. And they were considered aliens and strangers. You know, that's what we all are, by the way. Peter would remind us of that. We're just a passing through, amen? Because you and I are strangers to the world. And that's why the gospel is so needed in the world, to bring about a global peace. Everybody's praying and wanting peace. I'm going to tell you, only through Jesus Christ is it going to come. And only through him is it going to be lasting. And so he reminds them of their past condition. And he goes on in verse 12. Listen to what he says. They were aliens and strangers from the covenants. He said, and then this, having no hope. When you have a situation in your life and you feel like you've lost control of, and it feels like there's no hope, you know what that brings? A lack of peace. Can I get an amen? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been in life where something seemed hopeless and as a result of being hopeless, you lost your peace? You couldn't get settled. You kept worrying about it. You kept tossing and turning in your bed at night. It was hard to concentrate at work when you were at work because you lose your peace when you feel there's no hope. And he reminds them, hey guys, they were without hope. But listen, here's the reality of it. He's talking about you and me. I don't care if you're Jewish descent. I don't care if you're a Gentile descent in the room today. He's talking to us. And he's saying, without Christ, you had no peace. And then he says, worst of all, notice he says at the end of verse 12, he says, not only did they not have Christ, but notice he said at the end of verse 12, no hope because they were without God in the world. They didn't have a relationship with the Father. You know, people all the time say, oh, I got a relationship with God. Not if you don't have Jesus, you don't. Amen. Well, I pray all the time. How dare you say that? Well, I don't know who you're praying to, but you ain't praying to God. Because the God of the Bible says that there's only one way to approach him, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. So you can pray all day long, but if you ain't praying through Jesus in a relationship with him, then you're not praying to God. Unless it's a prayer of repentance, right? Asking God to save you. (laughs) So people all the time, you know, they got religion. They got a God they're praying to, but they refuse Jesus. And he starts off by saying there's no peace in your life if you don't have Jesus, which ultimately means you don't have God. Because you can't have one without the other. Jesus said, after all, the Father and I are one. They're the same. You can't separate what is joined together. Amen? What is one. And so he helps us understand, you have a life without peace. If you have a life without relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's a wonderful conjunction there. There's a wonderful transition that he makes in verse 11. And notice notice how he does that in verse 11, because then he talks about if you know Jesus, then you'll know peace, K-N-O-W. Notice how he makes the transition in verse 13. He says, but, I love that, don't you? It's like God always gives us hope. God reminds us, this is what you used to be. But God did something. What did he do? Well, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He goes on verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He said, who has 
made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he, verse 16, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. He says, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Isn't that incredible what Jesus has done for us? When you begin to think about what Jesus has done, he changed everything. He brought us peace. As a matter of fact, there was a declaration, you remember, in the book of the Gospels, it says in a declaration, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Why did the angel say that? Because the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, was born into the world, Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? When you and I enter into a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you what he does. First of all, he brings you, man, he brings you into right relationship with God. That's the first restoration that took place. If you notice in the text, he tells us that very thing. Notice, go back to verse 13. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once afar off, but now you've brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is, through the blood of Christ. Let me tell you something. Through the blood of Christ, the sin that you and I were in, the sin that we were born with, that is the nature of sin. Not the fact that we do sin, but the nature of sin, the, the, the person who we were. That is that Jesus dies on the cross of Calvary and his blood washes away that nature of sin that separates us from a holy God. Because sin separates. Always it separates. And so it separated us from God. But notice what Jesus did by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, washing away our sin and paying the payment and the penalty of our sin. What happened? Jesus now is able to bring us near. See, why is it that people think they can have a relationship with God without Jesus? It's only Jesus who brings you near. Amen? In and of ourselves, we are separate. We, we are separated from God. We have no hope to ever reach God. But through Jesus, we have a relationship. Why? Because he paid the penalty of our sin on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for you and for me as a propitiation for our sin. That is the payment of our sin debt. And he, in that, would reconcile us to God. And he says in verse 13, he says, now he's done this for you. You were afar off, but notice what he has done. Now he is bringing you into right relationship with God. He has brought you near. And then verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace. That is that Jesus in and of himself, his sacrifice, his personhood, he is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He is the peace of God that has brought us together in relationship with the Father. And he goes on and he says that he has broken down the middle wall of separation. We're going to talk about that in relation to the Jews. But think about this separation between us and God. He has demolished that, verse 15. And not only that, in verse 15 he says, and he abolished in his own flesh, that is talking about the cross, the enmity, that is that that division, that non-peace that we had. Jesus on the cross of Calvary would settle that for us in his own flesh on the cross. And he talks about the commandments. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Use hang tight. But notice what he says in verse 16, that he might reconcile them 
both to God. You know, reconciliation is a good thing. And we sort of know what that is on a human level. That is that if you as a married person have a squabble with your spouse, hopefully somewhere along the day you reconcile, right? That is that you go from being in the doghouse, guys, to getting back in the bed, right? Uh, By saying what? I'm sorry, (laughs) right? Amen. You've had experience, I can tell. Amen. And what guy in this room has it? Amen. He's just afraid to say amen. So we all have a, an understanding of reconciliation. But when we think about reconciliation, what Jesus has brought to us, he has reconciled us with God. Now, now here's what needed to happen. In Romans, he reminds us, Paul does, that you and I are enemies of God. That outside of relationship with Jesus Christ, we are the enemy of God. But what has happened through Christ is that he has reconciled us. He has brought us to God. And not only are we no longer enemies, but listen, now we are children. Now we are in relationship with the father. That's pretty incredible folks. And this is what Jesus has done for us. Now, let me tell you something to be an enemy of God is to be without peace. <laughs> I mean, people, are, people who don't have Jesus, they're afraid of God. And they're afraid of eternity. They're afraid of what's going to happen when they die. They have all these phobias. But when you come to Christ, he puts that to bed, doesn't he? Puts that to rest. Because now you have a relationship with the Father. You have a relationship with God through him. And not only that, notice he says in the text, he says in verse 18, not only has he brought us near, he reminds us again in verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit, he says, to the Father. That is that you and I, right now, in this moment, we have access to God. You know, I could drive my car to Washington, D.C., and I can park it at the entrance of the White House, and I'll probably be arrested. They will not let me in. But you know, someone far greater than the president, someone far greater than any president that ever lived or king that ever lived, His name is God. He is the father of the universe. He is creator. He is just awesome and high and lifted up. When people get into his presence, they fall as dead men. And yet, all I have to do is quiet my heart and I can be in his presence. How incredible is that? And I can do that through the Lord Jesus Christ who has given me access And you know who helps me maintain that access? He says it here, the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't leave me an orphan. I'm thankful that he sent the Holy Spirit to come and to live inside me because it's by the power of the Spirit of God that I'm reminded of this access that I have. As a matter of fact, I'm also reminded that even when I don't know what to pray, he's praying on my behalf. Amen? That's through the Spirit of God. We forget about the Holy Spirit. Amen? How powerful And how wonderful he is as the comforter that has come to live inside of us. That's just tremendous to think about. Well, he brought us near to God. Aren't you thankful? Can I ask you a question? Are you near? Are you and God in relationship through his son Jesus? But the second thing he did is he brought people to people. Listen how he says it again. Go back and look at verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. He says, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, abolishing, he says, in the flesh. He said, the empty, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. Here's what Jesus has done. He has made us, the Jew and the Gentile, he has made us one. See, that's what the church is all about. The church is about individuals becoming one, becoming family, becoming one unit in Jesus Christ. He refers to it as the body of Christ later. You and I in this body of Christ, even though we're so diverse, listen, we may have some things that should divide us. Listen, all those things have been abolished for the sake of bringing us together. And what Jesus reminds the Jews and reminds the Gentiles is that he in himself is the peace. That is, that he has now abolished this wall of separation. If you were to think about the time that the, the temple was there, and by the way, by the time Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, it's destroyed. But as Paul is writing, he's reminding them Jews, he's reminding the Gentiles that there was a wall inside there called the court of the Gentiles that was separated out from the Jews. And the the Gentiles could not go into the inner court and worship with the, with the uh, or the Gentiles could not go in and worship with the Jews. There was that wall of separation. And Paul says, what Jesus has done is he's gotten rid of that. He's divided. He's, he's, listen, there's no division in Christ. In other words, whether you're from New Jersey or whether you're from L.A., amen, or whether you're from Los Angeles <laughs> or where you may be from, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're kin. We're in relationship together. And notice what he has done. He's gotten rid of all these commandments and things, these things that separate the ordinances, the feasts, all that's separated them. And he did that in order, notice what he said, to make one new man. One new man. That is that there's no longer the Jew and there's no longer the Gentile. We're now the church. Think about that. We're not male, we're not female, we're the church. He, He is no hierarchy. There's no... Well, the Jews, you know, we're, we were first. <laughs> no, he reminds us we're one new man. We are, we are totally new in Christ. It's, it's the idea of not, listen, it's not the idea of a new car on an assembly line. You think about it, a car, you know, they roll out, you know, how many cars, 15,000 cars a day or whatever out of the assembly line, but they're all the same thing. No, this is something totally, this is a totally different model. Right? This, is not a, this is not a hood made by a Jew and an offender made by a Gentile. Amen. This is totally new. This is all made by Jesus. And it's called the church. And he brings us together like those Legos connect together to make us totally different. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible. And as you think about that, notice he says in the text that he would do what? He would take all these two and he would, verse 16, reconcile them both to God through one body by the cross, thereby putting the death, the enmity, And he came and he preached peace. And he did that, he says, because those who were far off and to those who were near, that we would be brought near and have access to God. But then we also have relationship with one another. How tremendous is that? So much so, notice how Paul finishes chapter 2 and I'll be done. Notice the results of peace. Notice what Jesus did in this peace. He says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and aliens, he says, or foreigners. But listen to this. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Notice the first thing that the peace with God does through Jesus Christ. It makes us fellow citizens. Listen, we... All may be Americans in this room. I don't know if there's anybody who's not. And we know what it's like to be a citizen of a nation. But can I tell you, more importantly, we're a citizen of a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. And you and I are all, as followers of Jesus Christ, part of that same kingdom. Which means, listen, that each of us has a part to play 
in the kingdom of God. Different sermon. We don't have time to preach all that this morning. But all of us are citizens of that one kingdom. Whereby before there was the Gentiles who were Roman citizens. There were the Jews who were Jewish citizens. Now he's saying no longer are you separated by citizenship. You're now one. Listen, do you realize that our brothers and sisters on the, on the, on the continent of Africa are family? We're fellow citizens. Yes, they may be Africans and we may be Americans, but we're all Christians. Amen. We're part of the same family. Our brothers and sisters that are persecuted around the world that we turn a blind eye to and forget about on a daily basis, they are fellow citizens. We ought to be concerned for their welfare just as we're concerned for our own welfare. But not only that, but notice what he says to us. Not only are they citizens, but then he talks about this household of God. Notice how he says at the end of verse 20. He says, And members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, there's those Legos being snapped together, grows into a holy temple. So you and I, he says, are in the same household. See, here's the wonderful thing about it. Not only are we fellow citizens in a kingdom, but now we're brothers and sisters in a house. Think about that. You and I, we, we, we call each other, used to in the old days, right? We'd say, brother so-and-so. Now we sort of reserve that for preachers, right? Brother Mike or brother Ken or brother so-and-so. But, you know, the reality is back in the old days, they would say brother so-and-so. And they would call each other brother and sister. Why? Because it would be a great reminder. We're family. Amen? You, you ladies, you're my sister in the Lord. You guys, you're my brothers in the Lord. Amen? We're family. And for Murray and I, as I already testified, for us, this family has been a lot closer than some of our own blood family. And we thank the Lord for that. That's God's design. That's the way God wants it to be. Amen? He wants us to be family. Amen? So everybody in the room is related. Nana, I knew somewhere along the line we'd all be related to you. And there we go. We're all related by the blood of Christ. Amen? So we're all family. Thank God for that. I don't know about you, but I need family. Amen. Do you need family? We all need family. But not only that, listen, he says, then you become a holy temple. Where did God dwell in the Old Testament? Where did he say he'd put his presence? Now we know God's not contained to a building. Amen. Let's just say that. But God said that he would dwell in a temple, right? He blessed the temple. Remember the day of Solomon that God came down and blessed the temple and he said his presence would dwell there. And so this is a reference to where God dwells. Where does God dwell? He dwells within the church. Now that means he dwells within you. You are a member of the church, right? I hope you are. If you're not, you can be today. I'm not talking about joining a church, the Baptist church. I'm talking about, are you born again? Has Jesus Christ redeemed you, saved you, reconciled you unto God? That's what I'm talking about there. So by nature, all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are temples, individual. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us of that. But do you realize what Paul is saying here is not the same thing. What Paul is saying here is, as he has made us each one man, as he has brought the church together and he has brought peace to us, not only did he make us fellow citizens, not only did he make us family, but listen, he has made us the dwelling place of himself. Amen. Think about that. Can I tell you, this sanctuary needs updating. Amen. I'm just going to say it. The pews need updating. The carpet needs updating. We need updating in here. But let me just tell you something. 
That's not what's sacred anyway. You know what sacred is? Is when the church gathers together, guess what? God is in the midst. He is, he is inhabiting his holy temple. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Think about that. If you come to church and say, well, I didn't feel God move today, it's your fault. God's here. Amen? First of all, he lives in you, he said. But second of all, Paul is saying right here, he has taken two and he's made them one to be a holy temple. And that's where God resides. And so when the church gathers together, the spirit of God is here. He is here. Hallelujah. I'm glad he is. And then he closes. Listen to what he says. He says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom, he says, you are also being built together. There's that word together. Being built together. Listen, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. How is he doing that? Through the Holy Spirit of God. He resides with us. And I'm glad he's here. We don't have to pray, Spirit, come down. The Spirit's here. Amen? He is here. What we need to pray is, Lord, let me be yielded to him. Let us as a church be yielded to him because he wants to dwell with us. I came across this quote by a commentator. I'm going to read this quote and I'll be done. Listen to what he says about this peace of God that we experience together. He says, the problem of fences has grown to be one of the most acute that the world must face. Today, there are all sorts of zigzagging, crisscrossing fences running through the races and peoples of the world. Modern progress has made the world a neighborhood, and God has given us the task of making it a brotherhood. In these days of dividing walls of race and class, we must shake the earth anew with the message of Christ, in whom, he says, there is neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, Scythian or barbarian, but all are one. See, folks, if we want peace in the world, it's through Jesus Christ. Because no Jesus, N-O, peace. But to K-N-O-W, Jesus, is to know peace. Peace between man and God that he's reconciled and peace between men and and men that he has reconciled. Without it, we'll never be on the mission that God's called us to. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.